right. Good morning, Trinity Church. How are you doing? Yeah. It's great to see you today. I want to thank Bill Bourne for the great job. And you just had a, they had a great worship workshop conference yesterday for all seasons in their concert last night and then leading us today. So we're grateful for them inviting them out. Uh, we're going to dive in today. My name is Todd Arnett. I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity Church, and we have some great stuff to cover, but I realized first service we had a lot to cover, and so I want to make sure that we're good on time. Here's a, a couple things right out of the gate. In your Trinity this week, you have some notes that look like this, so if you want to get those, those out, have those handy, ready to go. This is also what's going to be for your home group discussion this week, so you'll have those kind of ready uh, to be able to use that as you guys kind of have an opportunity to further debrief. If you have a Bible today, book Bible, electronic Bible, if you'd open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, about the seventh book in the New Testament. And uh, the great news is this is really helpful to you. It comes right before, you got it, 2 Corinthians, okay? So find your way there, chapter 3, that's a free one for today, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll dive in in just a second. Um, we are in a series called Rooted and Reaching, and you are here with us on week five if you're a guest today. I want to especially welcome you. We're going to catch you up, what's going on series-wise in just a moment. But I want to give you an, uh, an idea or a thought about something first. Today, one thing that we have been uh, working on, I was sharing kind of what we call the mission cast for the last uh, months of spring and into summer. And one of those things we talked about was uh, moving forward with this mission, this rooted in Jesus reaching our world's mission was wanting to uh, have more of what we call a brand awareness and you'll notice just obviously our brand, we've been making much of it for good reason. Chris Petnack, who put it together, did a great job of just kind of visually being able to connect a dot of not just a tree inside of an orange, like what's that about? But it really gives um, just, I think, some visual meaning to what it means to be rooted in Jesus, reaching our worlds. And we want to make much of that. And so one of the ways we're going to do that is today out at the Welcome Center, we actually have these stickers, window stickers that can go on your car. And let me explain what the value of these are. Okay, some of you look at that and you go, Todd, why on earth are we doing that? Is it just so we can be like other churches? Is it just because we, we really love this graphic and want to have it all over? It's a very simple reason. It's to create conversations. It all boils back down to that. And let me show you what I mean by that. Though it wasn't in the way of, of window stickers all over cars all over our area, it was on big letters that were on our lawn. If you remember back to our I Am series that we did in the spring and the big letters that we put there, even leading up to Easter, I Am Risen, just by way of hands, how many of you had a conversation with somebody who doesn't go to Trinity Church about those words out on our lawn, okay? That's all that did. That was our purpose. It's, it's a great thing. Like even the first words were great when we just had I Am. People are like, what in the world is all that about? I had two conversations just, and what a great thing to get to clarify, Oh, by the way, that's what Jesus said. He had a sequence of eight different statements in the book of John related to who he claimed to be. That's a great entry point in a conversation. And that's why we do things like that, to create opportunities for you to have conversations in your relational worlds. So here's how this is going to go. I don't think that more people are going to come to Trinity because they see stickers on your car. I don't think more people are going to come to know to Jesus directly because they see stickers on your car. But here's what I think is going to happen. People are going to see these stickers on your car. And by the way, we're going to talk about that in just a second, about how important it is to drive wisely with a Trinity sticker on the back of your car. Okay? But here's what's going to happen. The people in your relational world that you're doing life with, they're going to start seeing this branding around town. 
And, and at one point, you are, as you are praying for them, as you are investing in their lives, you're going to invite them to something at Trinity Church. And as they connect that dot from those window stickers they've been seeing around town, and then they hear that's where you want them to come to, now all of a sudden they have an awareness of at least what that is, as opposed to just any random church in Redlands. That's what brand awareness does. It just creates an opportunity to have a better conversation. So let's do this. If you're a driver, you're a licensed driver, raise your right hand. Because even if you don't get one of these today, I know you're going to get one eventually, okay? This is driver's pledge. Here's what you're going to say. Repeat after, oh, don't put them down. Don't put them down. That's going to be your out later on. Todd, I didn't keep my hand up. Keep your hand up. Repeat after me. I pledge to drive carefully and wisely and nicely when I have a Trinity window sticker on my car. Amen. Okay. And by the way, if you don't think that's important, think about the last time you got cut off by a car who had a church window sticker in their car and what it made you think of. Just happened to me recently. The church will be left nameless. Okay? So, I don't want you to be those people, but I do want you to do this. Grab one of these on your way out there at the Welcome Center. Just a dollar a piece. They cover our costs. And we're excited about just pushing the ball down the field in that way. Here's what I want to do. I want to recap where we've been. We're in week five. What's gone on the first four weeks? Week one, we pull out to 30,000 feet and we ask the question, what's the plot line of the Bible? What is the Bible? Every good story has a a plot line you can follow. What's the plot line of the Bible? And, And what we see is we see that God is redeeming things that are broken. We've just spent some time this morning praying for people that are broken. We get it. You knew that before you ever walked in the door. This is a broken planet. God knew that too, and he is about redeeming what is happening. Even the events of last Sunday night, he's redeeming them. That's the plot line of the Bible. So to know it is essential. To respond to it is essential. But then this, it should change something about me moving forward. It should change my perspective. It should change my priorities. And we found that week two, we talked about this great narrative. These lepers come upon this camp full of supplies and resources while there's a city literally starving to death right behind them. And they say this powerful line, it is not right for us to keep this good news to ourselves. And we realize, God, you have given me this incredible honor and privilege to know the truth of your revealed word. It's not right for me to keep that to myself. Well, then comes week three, and Pastor Tom comes and and spends time with us, basically answering this question. So to whom should I bring this message? How do I begin to start thinking and living missionally? And we realize we begin with our relational world. That plot line of the Bible should not end with me, but that's where I know who to go to first. Start with those in my 8 to 15. Start with those in my oikos. And that brought us to last week. Last week, we talked about bringing together these two ideas. Why are they so important? Why is it essential to be rooted in Jesus, reaching our world, and how are they related? And we found from Colossians 2 that we are rooted in Jesus. That's something even Jesus is doing, has done for us. And now out of that, we are a thankful people, and our thankfulness always overflows into our relationships. Rooted in Jesus, reaching our worlds is our mission. It's what we're called to do. And that's what this whole series has been about. You are on the planet for a purpose. You've been called into mission. 
And the great news is, is that you once, even though it's hard for some of us to go back that far, you once lived apart from Jesus and you live among people who currently are in that state. God wants to use you to reach them. God wants to use you to be influential in their lives. And we need to see this so much of this great privilege. God, you would even choose. I know who I am. I'm a mess. But you would choose to use me influentially in people's lives. What an incredible calling. What an incredible privilege. And so that's what we're walking out. To live a rooted and reaching life is to live out our mission. What we're doing today, we're talking about getting on board with God's priorities. So take a look on your notes. Take a look at the screens. Here's our now what statement today that's going to keep us focused on what we walk out with today. Creating margin is essential if you're going to engage your mission. Creating margin is essential if you're going to engage your mission. I'll explain in just a second. Number one in your notes today. God has clarified that you should prioritize his mission for your life. God has clarified that you should prioritize his mission for your life. Here's what we've been looking at, especially throughout this series. We've been seeing that God tells us, God communicates to us things that matter most. That's how we even started kind of this initial series. As we said, as we looked at the plot line of the Bible, we said that now we need to major on the majors. The plot line of the Bible is the major. Now, how do we live a life that flows out of that plot line? Even back to our family series, if you were here with us last spring, we talked about a whole week on this same concept of, of the, the importance. I think we called that day prioritizing priorities. Look at the screen. This is how we defined it. We melded two different definitions together and made this. To prioritize priorities is to strategically value something that merits attention before competing alternatives. Strategically valuing something that merits attention before competing alternatives. And this is what your life is about, isn't it? It's daily about making choices. What matters most? How should I engage my time? How should I engage my resources? And trying to figure out how to do the things that matter the most. So that's what we're talking about today in the same vein. This is not a new topic for us. But today we'll find a new passage that underscores this idea again. I told you when we started this Rooted and Reaching series, it wasn't going to be like, a, you know, greatest moments in Todd's life kind of a thing. But as I looked over this series, I realized how many of these weekly messages were just kind of cornerstone, God turning the light on kind of moments for me. And so while on the one hand, not to make it overly personal, this has been a very personal series for me and personal in how God has used different ideas from his word to shape my life. Today is no different, and today happened this way, in terms of the passage we're going to look at. I'm a freshman in Bible college, and I come home for the weekend. I had grown up in Yukaipa, just up the road, and I had attended churches in Yukaipa as a kid. That's where Bill and I met. And so um, I, I'm now, as a college student, I had gotten back involved at First Baptist Church of Yukaipa, a big church on the boulevard. I got back involved in their student ministries as a volunteer leader. And so as I come back, on a particular Sunday, it was in the first semester, so it might have been like, maybe right now, October, I came back, and I was involved, and so I'd come back most Sundays, and as I did that particular Sunday, they took all the students out of where they normally met, put them in the, the, what would be the, like our worship center, brought them into a room like this, and had a guest speaker. Oh, that's great. So I'm in among the students, I'm sitting in the back, and the guest speaker begins to go, and this was probably about the second or third passage he went to is where your Bibles are open today in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 
And as he began to go, he gets to this passage, and I've got my Bible open, I'm reading along, and as we get there, he kind of reads over the passage relatively quickly, these same six verses we're going to look at, makes a couple concluding remarks and keeps going. He would look that day at probably another eight to ten verses all throughout the scriptures, making kind of a case for his point, but I never left. I never left 1 Corinthians 3. For the next half hour, I would just read over and over and over again these same six verses trying to make sense. Is this really the truth? Is this really what the Bible is saying? And if so, what does this mean in my life? And I will tell you, that day wrecked me. And I don't mean wrecked me in some bad way. Wrecked me in terms of a, a, a naive Ignorant understanding of my life and my future to one that was informed. And you've had those kind of aha moments in your own life and you realized I was walking down a road that I misunderstood or didn't have information. And now that I do, man, I have to live according to that reality. That's what that day did. I don't know if today in the same passage is going to have that same reality for you. I'm not um, as worried about that. What I'm most worried about is that you look at the truth of Scripture with me, and then we ask the question, now what? So let's dive in. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Let me give you some context so you understand kind of what's going on. First Corinthians, by the way, is this textbook letter to a church that struggles in almost every single way that the American evangelical church struggles today. It's an incredible book. We'll have to look at it sometime and just walk through issue by issue, and we'll keep saying, yep, these are the same things we struggle with. That's the timelessness of the scriptures. And it's not, it's not a positive thing. These are all kind of negative things. So Paul He's talking now, by the time we get to chapter 3, he's talking about factions. There's division in the Corinthian church, and it's a fascinating reason why the people are divided. They're not divided based on theological issues. They're divided based on personalities. They have raised to a level of idolatry. They've created idols out of church leaders. Just earlier in 1 Corinthians, I am of Paul. On the one hand, must have made Paul feel pretty good. Actually, it didn't, because he wasn't looking for their hero worship. I am of Cephas, another word for Peter. I am of Apollos, another church leader. And even for the super spiritual, I'm of Jesus. That's my favorite group, right? All those other guys, they're lame. Jesus is our guy. And the point of this, what Paul's laying out is they had created all these factions and they rallied around people they had elevated far beyond their human capacity to then say, I follow this person and their teaching when Paul says, who you follow is the God who planted the seed in you. Paul then uses this um, agricultural illustration. Interesting, if you were here last week, you saw in Colossians 2, that's how he began. As you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue in him rooted. That's a very agricultural idea. Rooted, roots deepening and fastening around the person of Christ. And, and Paul says, back to 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says that when I was among you, I had the privilege of planting the seed. I got to be the sower. Apollos, he came after me. He got to water the seed, but watch this, but God made it grow. We each got to play a very significant role, a gracious role given to us, but God is the one who makes things grow. 
And at the very end of chapter 3, verse 9, then Paul flips the analogy and turns to a construction term. You are the house of God. By the way, in Colossians 2, where we were last week, the same thing. Rooted, built upon. He did the same thing. Agriculture to a construction term. Now we're talking about buildings. And that's the preface for where we get to today, that there is this, this foundation. Paul says that he had the incredibly gracious privilege of being the architect. That's what the Greek word there is for expert builder. It's the word that we get our English word, architect. He, he created this amazing opportunity to lay down the slab, to lay down the foundation. And then what happens is then he changes gears in what we were reading, and he pulls away and talking about himself, and now he's talking to all of us. Paul got to be the expert builder, the architect, but what about for all of us who build on the foundation of Jesus, the only foundation that will last? And this is what he calls them to do. He calls them to pay attention, to look carefully using great perception. It's a Greek word related to your vision, how you see it, see it with clarity. That's how this passage begins. Let's move forward. Chapter 3, verse 12. If anyone, now he's talking to all of us, if anyone builds on this foundation, the foundation of Jesus, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, capital D, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Huh. Okay, what is going on here? Well, let's back up. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying there's a foundation. And the foundation is Jesus. He's the only foundation that lasts. And so when you put your faith in Jesus, when you're a follower of his, of his you share the same foundation with others. This, this foundation of Christ. But here's the interesting thing. As you follow Jesus, what you now have the opportunity to do is to choose upon that foundation what materials you're going to build. Paul gives a list of six things, but you'd get lost if you get into that. Really just see them as two groups. Two groups is how he gives them. The first group, gold, silver, costly stones. The second group, wood, hay, or straw. This is the ways you can think. So here's a foundation, and on this foundation, you're going to build with materials. You get to pick what you build with. That's what Paul is laying out. He was saying, this is my role among you, Corinthians, but now he's transferring it to them as you individually, as you and corporately as a local church build upon the foundation of Jesus, choose wisely what building materials you're going to use. Let's look at the first group, gold, silver, costly stones. That word costly stones is probably better understood, not so much as like diamonds and rubies, but more like marble, right? A construction type of, of mineral that you would use. So gold, silver, marble. And it's interesting, as you look at that list, you realize that those same predominant elements were the kinds of things that God instructed Solomon to build the temple out of. The temple that God would come and inhabit was mainly built of gold, silver, and costly stones, especially that of marble. Take a look at this artist's rendering. This is Solomon's temple. And when you look around at all the marble colonnades and all the building that has that and then obviously the gold everywhere and many of the utensils inside the temple were overlaid with silver. Now, by the way, that's not a stretch because if you look down just a few verses past where we'll finish today, like in verse 16 and 17, you'll see Paul saying, you are the temple of God. 
So this is really easy to see. He's making an illusion here that he's going to complete the picture down here. So here's what Paul is saying. You have the foundation of Christ. Pick the types of resources and elements that are not only valuable, the kind that God even chose to have his own temple built out of, but what we'll see in just a second, the kind that will last. The kind that will last. Here are the other types of um, building materials you could choose to use. You could, chill, you could choose wood, hay, and straw. Take a look at this picture. I came, you can find anything on the internet. I love the internet, okay? Um, great reasons why the world is flat, you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, here's this one. I love this. So I was looking at, and I found a website that actually proposes how cheap and how good it is to build a house literally out of straw bales. That's what that is. You see the walls? That's made of straw, literally. And so I'm looking at this. It's got a foundation. You can see that it's got some wood uh, on the roof and then wood posts. That house is completely made out of what Paul is saying of this other type of choice of materials, wood, hay, and straw. Think back in your mind of what you saw the picture of related to the temple, and now think of this one. And when you add fire, what are the results? I'd give that one about 30 seconds. It's going to be gone. And, and you would say, well, Todd, okay, understand, but why are we adding fire? That was interesting because that was actually in the passage. This is what it says, what we just read. Their work will be shown for what it is because the capital D day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Now, let's ask this question. That's, a, that's kind of a pause for a lot of us. Wait a second. Why are we talking about fire? Fire is usually what I understand to be reserved for things like hell. Right? That's the graphic imagery of the Bible. Hell relates to flames and fire, not not for those of us who are in Christ. So what are we referring to? And this was the understanding that I had that day as I was reading. And, and with very little instruction, you just kept, as I kept reading over 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15, I kept coming to the same reality. The fire that we're talking about has nothing to do with the fires of hell, but it has everything to do with a pending judgment for believers. I had never heard this before. I'd been raised in a church. I was at a Bible college as my freshman year. I had never heard, or, or to be fair to those who taught me, I just maybe wasn't paying attention. I'll give them that. But for either way, I had never connected this dot before that there was such a thing. Because my thought was, you put your faith in Christ, you live your life, and you're going to ultimately go to heaven and spend eternity with God, and that is true. But there's something about this other judgment that was new to me. Watch this, Revelation 20, and I will show you this in just a second. It really gives great clarity talking about this idea of, of what we mean with fire and judgment. Revelation 20 lays out this idea of what we will all stand before God, every human being on the planet. And, and what it talks about in Revelation 20 is every human being is there and the books are open and the books recorded our lives. But here's the great thing. The yay God moment, there's another book. There is a God of another book. And without this other book, we have no hope. But it's the Lamb's book of life. And for those who had put their faith in Jesus and trusted him as Savior and Lord, their names are written here. And what was written in this book of their lives doesn't matter because their name is over here. That's the judgment that most of us think of. And that's what happens. The Bible, this passage is not changing that. This passage is not refuting that. This is not inconsistent was what we know of that judgment. 
For those who are in Christ, their names are in that book. However, this and other passages in the Bible teach that there will be another kind of judgment for those who do follow Jesus. A judgment based on how we lived once we began to follow him. A judgment based on what kind of materials we choose to build with. Here's what I mean. Look at the screen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. This is the same church Paul's writing to in a second letter. For we must all, we, believers in Jesus, must all appear before the judgment, the bema seat of Christ, so that each one of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. I don't have time today to unpack all of the theology around what theologians call the bema or bema seat judgment of Christ. The reason we call it that, that's the actual Greek word that we translate judgment. So what would happen in first century Greek culture is there would be a city square, an agora, okay? And in the agora, there was literally a seat, literally a chair called the bema seat. And for the person who was in charge of deciding, like a judge, someone who would judge between two people bring a case to him and one is right, one is wrong, the judge would sit in the bema seat and make a judgment. Now, first century Corinthians, when they're, here, when they're reading these words of Paul, the bema seat judgment of Christ, they know for sure what a bema seat is. They, there was one right down the street from where they're reading this letter. But what they had a hard time translating is, well, how does that relate to Jesus? Is Jesus sitting in the city square and going to judge us? Not maybe in the city square, but yes, we will stand before Jesus based on how we lived our lives. That was new information for me. I had never heard that before. And now all of a sudden, the gears were working in my brain that way, and I'm asking myself the question, I put my faith in Jesus when I was very young, and what have I done since? How am I living now as related to that? I have the foundation of Jesus, but what does that mean? And let's finish this passage, and I'll show you. Back to chapter 3, verse 14. If what has been built, so the foundation is Jesus, the materials you choose to use, they're either gold, silver, costly stones, or they're wood, hay, and straw, If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't miss that phrase, yet will be saved. This is not a lose your salvation idea. This is not, I put my faith in Jesus, but I somehow lost it along the way. And now I'm outside the camp. Nope, this passage isn't saying that very clearly. Yet we'll be saved, but watch. For the one who builds with materials that are going to last, that are going to be... What happens when you introduce gold, silver, and costly stones to fire? They actually get refined. They don't burn up. And we already said a minute ago, when you introduce wood, hay, and straw to fire, they're consumed. So for the one who chooses to build wisely, there is in turn a reward. There is something that is going to be rewarded through eternity because you built with supplies that last. You built with materials that were going to matter. And then this phrase, this is the part that caught me that day, that just caused me to stop and pause in my tracks and go, God, what does this mean? And it's that other phrase, if what he has built does not survive, he will be saved, watch, yet as one escaping through the flames. 18-year-old college freshman 
I did not want my life to be lived in such a way that I would stand before Jesus and say, I have nothing. I have nothing I built with that made it into this, that made it past this judgment, this evaluation. And that's something that gripped me. There might be something that grips you today. Maybe this is new information to you as well. Maybe this is information you've heard before but really hadn't processed well what these building materials are. Either way, I want you to do this. I told you that day as he read over this passage, quick explanation and took off, I was just stuck right there with the passage, reading it over and over and over again, having really no sense of now what, but I want to give you a now what today. There is hope. You may be here and you may be someone who has put your faith in Jesus. That is the foundation that you're building on. And you have been building with things that will not last, things that will not be rewarded. But that's up until now. And you can change. You can change the types of materials you're building with and begin to build with something that will last. I don't know if you've noticed this as you interact with people. And by the way, please, please do not think that the only way you can build with these materials at last means that you have to become a vocational minister. means that you have to go to some other part of the world to be a missionary. Those are great things, but they're by far not the only things. You can build with these materials in the very same life stage, in the very same reality you live now. I'll, I'll make sense of that in just a second, but have that hope. Here's the thing. I was in these commentaries. I used seven to get ready for this week because I did not want to get this wrong. But I will tell you this, of all seven commentaries I looked at, none really wanted to venture. Because here's your question, the right question. What, what are these building materials? What is the gold, silver, and costly stones? What, what actually is going to last? You're wondering the very same thing you should be wondering. And as you look at that, none of the commentaries really wanted to give a lot of clarity there. And here's the thing, I'm not smarter than any of them. But I want to tell you, I can't give you an exhaustive list of what all these things are. But I can tell you two things that I know for sure must be in that list. Because Jesus said they matter most. The first one's called the great commandment. We've said it before. We've said it a lot during this series because it needs to be repeated. It needs to be in front of us all the time because Jesus said it mattered most. Matthew 22, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? What's the greatest? Jesus doesn't flinch. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second, he can't just give one. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Watch this. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. These matter most. Love God wholeheartedly. Love people like yourself. We're going to make much of that because Jesus made much of that. And it wasn't just a great commandment. It was the great commission. Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. As you are going, make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Here's my point. We're describing a rooted and reaching life. Living a life rooted in Jesus, reaching our worlds, that is great commandment, great commission kind of stuff. And that's why he, at, here at Trinity with our elders and pastors as we've been working out this mission statement, getting it prepared to share with you. That's why we're so excited to share because we believe that's what Jesus says matters most. We want to give ourselves to that. I love you too much to not want to share with you passages like today 
to have you keep building with stuff that won't matter. I want to shine the light on what the Bible says this matters most, so rally your life around it. And I want to tell you one other piece of great news. My other two points are not this long, okay? <clears throat> Number two, you can't add God's mission to your already busy life. You have to begin with his mission and see what else fits in. You can't add God's mission to your already busy life. You have to begin with his mission and see what else fits in. Now, as you're processing this and as you're thinking through your own life, you're, you're listening and you're going, okay, God, what are these elements? If the elements at least include rooted reaching, and I've been exposed to this for the last few weeks, but I, I'm still slow to, to get on board or I don't know what I think about it or I don't know how. That's why you're here today. So I want to help you with some of the initial steps of how. And it's, by the way, the question you should be asking. And here's how my answer starts. How do you begin living this life that's going to be rewarded by Jesus someday? It begins by taking some stuff out. It has to begin there. We live in a culture today where we seem to wear as merit badges how incredibly busy we are. And you hear people talk, and it just is the very first, how you doing? Oh, I'm so busy. What I say to people who ask me last night, how you doing? Oh, it's a really busy season. I say it all the time. You do all the time. So there's no way when you hear stuff this big, this epic, that you're going to go, my, my life is already packed. How am I going to add this to it? And by the way, I know many of us are processing that. Whether it be today or other weeks in this series, you're going, Todd, I'm already living in a frayed existence. How on earth am I going to make enough time for now this new checklist? So the last thing I want you to understand about today is that it's a new checklist. Today changes the game. Living a rooted and reaching life changes the game. So let me show you what I mean. If you remember back in our family series when we talked on that day about margin, I brought that athletic bag and talked about your family's life, the hours that you live. And it's just already so jammed. How are you going to squeeze this? And the reality is, this is what you and I have. You and I have 24 hours. 24 hours. Even in my picture, you can see a couple. These are like uh, fake golf balls that you hit around. You can even see they're even trying to bubble over the top. You don't get that. Okay? This is all you get. You can put a lid on it. Everybody has 24 hours a day. No more. So what are you going to do with yours? That's a simple question. And then you come across this. And by the way, these are rocks today, not balls. It's going to make real sense in just a minute when I start using the word big. Okay? Rocks. These are rocks. Little rocks, big rocks. Here's how this goes. Within this, this is your life, and this is what you're hearing. You're hearing about this idea of rooted and reaching. We're saying these are elemental, foundational, the stuff that is going to last through eternity that is rewarded. How are you going to take an already busy life and begin to jam this in there? And the answer is you're not. Now, we're not saying that these things in here don't matter. And we're not saying they don't consume a lot of time. These aren't proportionate to the amount of hours you spend in a day. But these things that are in your life, the many of them, there's no room to add. So we do the basic thing. Anytime we have to start with something that's a priority, we don't try to squish them in the top. We dump them out. We lay it out. We evaluate our lives. We pull it out. We write it on paper. We put it on our computers. We lay it out and we just look, what is consuming my life? And if you're going to take this today seriously about living a rooted in Jesus, reaching a world kind of life, then these are going to go first. 
They're the big rocks. You have to start with what matters most. And then you go back to your list and you don't necessarily just start pouring these back in, but you start evaluating, this one makes sense. This one's important. I need to put a roof over our family's head. I should have a job. These kinds of things start going back into the jar. And as you start filling it back up thoughtfully, not just to fill time, but to do things that matter, you do so and all of a sudden you realize, hey, you know what? I can live out these priorities because as I do, I've already started with the big rocks, the things that matter most, and other things now can fit in around it. But I want to tell you something. In putting these back in, these many didn't make it. I'm a realist, okay? To call you to live a life of influence in people's life, to call you to be thoughtful daily of your roots into Jesus is not something you add without the reality of taking some things away. This is a necessary step. And I put it to you again today because I love you, because I don't want to say, hey, here's this, um, this idea, go out and just do it, it's all going to make sense. It's like, no, that's not going to make sense and you're going to fail. So instead, we need to take it one step at a time and think this way. Some of the things in your life need to be replaced, some of them need to be redeemed. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Um, uh, a few weeks ago, I was at um, our high school group hanging out on a Tuesday night. I was there for a thing that was going to happen after, so I got there a little bit early. And as I was there, Hilke was interviewing Ian and Aubrey. I think you guys are here today. Ian, would you stand up? Ian's over here and Aubrey's over there. Yeah. Come on, Aubrey, stand up. All right, you guys sit down. So, so Hilke's up there interviewing them, and, and the reason why was to kind of share with our high school students, there was an event that our high school students did uh, about a month ago or so called the Fall Nighter. And it was really meant to be what we call an entry point event. That was the whole sole purpose. We're going to have a great time. <clears throat> and in doing so, this is a really rich opportunity for your friends that you've been investing in, that you've been praying for, you're connected to, to invite them to come to this event. That's an entry point event. So they've done that. And then after the event now, it's been a few weeks, Hilke has Ian and Aubrey up on stage. And he's interviewing them and saying, how did that go for you? How did that go as you were um, inviting people? And they both shared very similar stories. They both have a group of friends, five or six, that they care deeply about. They've been praying for. They're trying to be intentional in their conversations and their life with. They're trying to live a life that looks like Jesus to them. They both shared the same thing. And as they did, Hilke said, so how did that go when you invited them? And, um, and Ian said, you know, I had a couple of friends that came. It was really cool and great opportunity for them to meet um, our students here at Trinity and it was really great. And then Aubrey, when she shared, she said, I invited six girls and none of them came. And this was the genius of that whole interchange. Hilke was able to say, both Ian and Aubrey did exactly what we asked them to do. Neither of them were responsible for who shows up. They're all responsible, though, about who they're inviting, who they're investing in. And I wanted to highlight them. I wanted to highlight who they even represent as students today. Because our student ministries are getting it. They're understanding that they have a relational world around them. They live in it. And here's the thing. Guess what no one's asking them to do? No one's asking them to quit school so they can go be missionaries. Even though they might like that. <laughs> We're asking them to be missional at their school. Do you see that? For some of us, oh, I've got to quit my job so I can... No, no, no. You need to be missional on your job i got to leave my neighborhood. No, no. You need to be missional in your neighborhood. 
It's changing. Look at this, this slide. It's changing lenses. Tom shared this at um, the Oikos event. He shared this idea of this lens change. And here's the picture about it. It's how I see the world. I see the world through a different set of eyes because now I'm looking in a way that I realize God has me on mission. I want to join him in it. And that's what begins to flow. That's what begins to happen. Watch this. What if a church, there's a thousand of us that get together every week on a Sunday between our three services. When Thomas here, he talked about we each represent a relational world of eight to 15 people. That means that there are eight to 15,000 people in the Inland Empire that we are doing life with. If we were more like Ian and Aubrey, just think what would be going on in this region of the world. I get so excited, and I love that our students are examples to us of how we want to follow in the same way. Number three today, and we finish with this. In order to engage this mission, in order to begin living this way, you engage God's mission by starting with your world. By starting with your world. We talked, um, Tom shared that in order to do this, actually there are some steps. Take a look at the slide. This is from the teaching time that he was here on that Saturday. There's five steps, and we're, through the rest of our series, going to engage these. We're going to engage the first two today. It begins by making a list. And if you're saying, Todd, I don't know who goes on the list. I don't know where that starts. Take a quick look at this, and you'll see what I'm talking about. think of who's in that chair, the reality is these are names you can actually write on a card. These cards, these prayer cards, we're putting these in your hands. It's how you make a list. They're every exit today. They're out at the Welcome Center. This is where it begins. Taking this seriously to say I'm going to be a person who begins just by identifying who's in my life. Now, those of you who love to swim in the digital world, we don't want to leave you out. Take a look. This is an app that Bill introduced me to a few weeks ago called Prayer Mate. Great app. Everything you could want on there as far as lists of people to pray for, reminders of when to pray for them. We don't care if you're going to use a digital version or a paper version. All we care about is you're making a list and you're beginning to pray. Now, watch this. Some of the people on, this is my list, by the way. Some of the people on my list love Jesus. That's awesome. Other people on my list don't love him yet. That's awesome, too. So guess how I pray. By the way, there's no third category. That's it. You can break the world down into those two groups. So for the people in my world who love Jesus, what am I praying? That God would help them be more rooted and reaching in their lives. And for those who don't love Jesus yet, Jesus, they need you. I know that. They don't know that yet. Would you help them understand their need for you and respond? 
That's how I pray daily for the people on my list. And watch this. Here's the great thing about praying daily. You are daily reminding yourself you can't change them. You're looking over a list of names and their names and their spiritual status is not changing. And you're realizing, God, this is why this is so important that I'm coming to you. I can be a source of influence, but you're always the agent of change. So daily we walk out going, God, I have a list. These are the people I'm praying for. They need you one way or the other. So this is what I'm going to do today. I want to finish our time by giving you some margin. Right here, right now. I want you to think of someone in your relational world, your 8 to 15, your oikos. And I want you to, know, I want you to think of someone that you're going to put on your list. Get their face right there in your mind. And what I want you to do, I want you to take a minute. I'm going to give you some peace, some quiet, just for a moment for you to talk to God about them. Whatever their next is, as a follower of Jesus or as someone not following him yet, take a minute to pray for them and then I'll close our time. Father God, we, as prayers are going up to you related to the people in our world, to people that we're invested in, the people that we will begin inviting, we pause to remember that it begins with you because it's all about you. This is the whole goal. God, is to see them grow in you or see them respond to you. And so we recognize, we take a position of humility because we realize all the influence in the world won't matter to any change if you're not in it. But even the, the smallest amount of influence, if you're in it, produces great change. So for us, we just want to be a people who are obedient. We want to be a people who engage the resources of heaven for the lives that we're connected to. And our prayer today is that you would be at work. You'd be at work not just among them, but among us. Would we see what matters most in life and would we live our lives based upon that, not trying to squish it into an already busy life, Help us dump out the rocks, put in the big rocks first, and see how you fill in the rest. God, what you will do, what you will do with a group of people in your name who take this seriously as we begin to live rooted and reaching lives, God, we just can't wait to see it. We thank you for today. We love you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.